0: Hi, this is Nancy Arvizu, and you are listening to Write, Speak, Play. My guest today is Linda Broder. Linda is a writer and musician living in northern New Jersey. She believes in the power of telling your story. She finds stories everywhere, in the echoes of her past, and the whispers of trees, and in the sounds of her harp. Her upcoming book is on finding hope and wonder, She is currently working on a memoir of loss, music, and the mysteries all around us. Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, Spirituality and Health, and Tiny Buddha. You can find her at lindabroder.com. I met Linda through the Speaker Sisterhood. In her first speech, she let us know who she was, what had brought her here and now, and how she was handling a really bad thing that had happened to her and her family. I'm not going to lie, I have been trying to record this introduction for a couple of days now, and I can't get through it without being emotional, without my voice cracking, or without needing to take long, deep breaths. This is a tough topic, a hard topic. It's hard to talk about because it is so unimaginable to have to experience So I hope you can bear with me. You see, Linda's son, Brendan, was killed in an accident days before he was supposed to start high school. Linda has found writing to be her way to heal, to help her two younger children through their own loss, and finally, to understand There is still joy in life to be had, experienced and shared even in the midst of this kind of grieving. This is one of those conversations I wish I would have started recording from the beginning. During the first few minutes before I started the recording, we started talking about the way writing helps us heal. Linda had found that writing about her loss And her grief and her love for her son. She was able to see herself and the new reality she found in from a different perspective, another voice, and it gave her a way to feel something other than grief again. Losing people we love is hard, but when we are unable to share our grief, our love, or our stories about those we've lost, We lose more. We lose the memories of them. These are the conversations we must learn to have more of. Even if our voices crack and we cry, it's okay. Linda was very brave to come and share her work this way. Her words, her experience, her grief, and her joy and I thank her for that and I hope you enjoy her two stories that she shares pebbles and cartwheels and I look forward to having Linda's work on the podcast more she's agreed to share more of her work with us so without any more from me here is Linda Broder with Pebbles.
1: The title is Pebbles. I followed a little boy in Walmart today. He didn't look like my son, and yet I trailed him and his mother all over the store. I curled my fingers around the shopping cart so I wouldn't be tempted to reach out and touch him. He didn't walk with Brendan's bounds or jerk his head back trying to slide his glasses back onto his nose. He didn't have his sarcastic smile or those tiny freckles scattered across his cheeks, but he had the same cowlick sprouting from the back of his head. I wheeled my cart around and followed this little boy who looked nothing like my son. I itched to brush this boy's hair just like I did before Brendan grew too old and wiggled away. I used to smooth his spikes down and then laugh when they sprang back up, no matter how much gel I used. By the time he became a teenager, he gave up trying to tame them and left it messy and wild. And now I'll never get a chance to touch his hair again. My son died in an accident a week before his first day of high school. I followed this little boy through the aisles, zigzagging across the store. He spent a long time debating which Lego set to buy. I knew the perfect one, the Star Wars battleship, but I said nothing. A few minutes later, he and his mother walked out of the store while I stood there, that hollow feeling gnawing me from the inside. I'd learned to steal myself when I saw Brendan's friends at the high school or celebrated his cousin's 16th birthday, but I didn't expect something so small as a wisp of hair to make me stumble. Muhammad Ali once said, it isn't the mountains ahead to climb that wear you out. It's the pebble in your shoe. That boy's hair was my pebble. You're never sure what tiny thing will make you stumble. A few months after Brendan died, my husband went to a funeral. It was for his friend's grandmother, a sad passing, but not tragic like losing a 15 year old son. We both feared it would be too much for him. He prepared himself to see the coffin, to hear the sobs, to smell the roses and carnations in the room. None of that bothered me, he told me later. I was fine, but then I went into the bathroom. I dried my hands on the air dryer and all I could see was the first time Brendan used one of them. I think he was four and he loved it. Again, Brendan said over and over. He kept washing his hands just so he could dry them again. It wasn't the tears of the mourners or the wooden casket covered in flowers that made Michael break down. It was the memory of Brendan laughing while watching the skin on his hand bubble and dance. Michael had steeled himself against the mountain, but it was the pebble that brought him down. A tiny pebble will forever make us stumble. And yet, it's that same pebble that fills us with the sound of Brendan's laughter. There will be days when I follow a little boy and his hair limping in pain, but there will also be days when I smile, my fingers warm with the memory of smoothing down Brendan's wild and messy hair. Life is made up of these moments. Joy and heartache are woven into a tapestry of love. There are days when I want to pull on the threads of pain but I know I risk unraveling it all. After Brendan's accident, icy shock seeped inside me and froze my memories. I couldn't remember his favorite foods or the nickname he called our dog. I couldn't even say what we'd had for dinner on our last night together. But my daughter, Lizzie, remembered the special nachos he'd made after dinner that night. He called them victory nachos, she said, and I smiled, picture him slicing salami into perfect strips. He'd sprinkled them on top and dove into the pile, eating only one chip at a time. And Zach remembered the way he and his brother would lie on their backs on the trampoline, waiting until the sky grew dark. They'd search for the first star to twinkle in the sky and then close their eyes and wish that pigs could fly. We shared our memories in a notebook we left on the kitchen counter. The pages filled up, but not with big highlights like our vacation to Disney World, we wrote about the ordinary moments that are so easy to take for granted. Like the marathon Monopoly games in our basement, and how Brendan always tried to get Park Avenue, even if he bankrupt himself. And the hours Brendan and Michael spent sitting by the fire pit they built out of bricks. Or the coupon he made me when he was 14, inviting me on a bookstore date. I still have a slip of paper with his messy words scrawled on it. But what I cherish the most is the memory of him hovering by my side, his eyes watching mine as I read his invitation. He'd seen me cry that morning and was desperate to make me smile again. This is how love endures. We gather tiny moments and string them together like beads in a never-ending necklace. And yet it took the loss of my son to make me realize the little things in life are the ones that matter the most. Our family life was a whirlwind of track meets and baseball practice and business meetings. In the chaos, it was far too easy to let those moments slip away. We carved out time for big vacations, but forgot to treasure the tickle fights late at night. Don't wait for a loss to make you realize what you're missing right now. Push away the distractions that will always be there and hold onto your loved ones and the everyday memories you make together. I still keep a notebook on my counter. I write down the piano song Zach played on my birthday, or the way my daughter giggles when I touch her knee. And I pick up pebbles on my walks. I slip them into my pocket, its gentle weight a reminder to cherish the smallest moments in life.
0: And now, Cartwheels by Linda Broder.
1: This is the one that was um, published in the Washington Post. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And uh, this one is called Cartwheels on a Grave. My daughter turned cartwheels on her brother's grave. It wasn't something I expected. After my 15-year-old son died in an accident, he was here one morning, gone the next. I spent a lot of time researching grief. I was afraid the tragedy would scar my 10 year old daughter and 13 year old son. I met with Zach's and Lizzie teachers and guidance counselors. I ordered books on grief and play therapy and how to talk to your team. For weeks, the UPS driver dropped off baskets of food and flowers along with cardboard boxes filled with books. The first thing I learned was that the seven stages of grief are a lie. The image makes you think of a staircase moving towards something good. Each hard-earned step leads you to the next one. Your first trip to the supermarket? Check. The first holiday without him? Check. You hold on to these milestones, these little gold stars of achievement, because you believe they lead you to the next step. But grief is a slippery slope. It's not a staircase, but more like an endless game of chutes and ladders. We'd leap toward one step, only to slide down three steps below. I read that my daughter needed to play through her emotions. I dug out the doll she'd only put away a few months before. I climbed the stairs into the attic and pulled out the rocking chair, the one all three children had used. I placed it at the end of the hallway. I added a low shelf and filled it with dolls and stuffed animals and a little rug so she could sit and rock away her sadness. She tucked her doll in a blanket and crooned over her, telling her everything would be all right. Zach's grief was wrapped in anger, held in tight with clenched fists. He needed to move, so our calendar filled with basketball games and clinics. After school, I watched him through the window as he walked through the backyard alone and climbed onto the trampoline. He jumped until he couldn't catch his breath. I spent hours each night flipping through the books. As a parent, my first instinct was to shield them from sorrow, but the books taught me that they needed to move through their grief and not away from it. And so I said nothing when Lizzie came off her bus, her face crumpled. Her brother Brendan used to ride his scooter down every afternoon to meet her. He'd carry her books up the hill and they'd talk about math and the new game she'd learned in gym. Instead of pushing away her pain, I swung her backpack on my shoulder. I squeezed her hand and let her cry. By the time we reached our house, her tears were gone. When Zach's face flushed an angry red and he ran up the stairs and slammed his door shut, I didn't slide silly notes under his door. I left him alone and when he came out an hour later, I didn't wipe away the tears. I grabbed a basketball and we went outside and counted how many free throws he could make in a row. Each day, I scanned their bodies and faces, searching for sadness, despair, anger. I was ready. I knew exactly what to do. But I wasn't ready for the joy. It was after my husband, Michael, took Lizzie to the cemetery, six weeks or so after Brendan had died. I'd gone the week before, holding my children's hands, hiding my emotions. I was grateful when Zach didn't want to go back. I'll stay here with him, I said. He left to play basketball in the park, and I sat by the window, waiting to comfort my daughter when she came home. I ran to the door when the car pulled into the driveway, but when she jumped out of the car, her eyes sparkled from excitement, not tears. She smiled at me. I showed Brendan my cartwheels. Shocked, my mouth fell open. I glanced sideways at Michael. At the cemetery? She clapped her hands. I finally did a good one. I had to show him. I worried what other people would think seeing a child turning cartwheels at the cemetery, but I couldn't help smiling at the joy on her face. As adults, we carry one emotion into another. We sink into the heaviness of sadness and then carry that weight into times of joy. I couldn't imagine being happy. I couldn't look at the framed pictures of all three of my children, their arms wrapped around each other. I even turned our wedding photo around because I couldn't stand remembering a time when everything seemed perfect. But Zach and Lizzie taught me not to let the sadness bleed into my joy. They knew how to stay in the moment, whether it was happy or sad. I watched them cry until their bodies trembled. A few minutes later, they'd be shaking from laughter. They didn't push away their joy. And we do have those moments of sheer happiness. We have joy in the memories we share and in the love we can still feel, the love that will never fade. It's the flip side of grief, the reward that makes you want to move through all seven stages, even while knowing there will be times you slide back down to the bottom. We sit around the fire pit Brendan built with Michael. We toast hot dogs over the fire. Lizzie tells us about the bee she's certain is a sign from Brandon. When the sky darkens, we hunt for the first star Zach and Brendan used to wish upon. We laugh until our stomachs ache. I don't carry my sadness into these moments. I let myself feel the joy. It fills me. It makes me want to fling my arms open and turn cartwheels until I'm dizzy with joy.
0: You can find links to the Speaker Sisterhood the Garden of Nero, and of course, my website, Nancy Writes, in the show notes. This is Nancy Arvizu, and you've been listening to Write, Speak, Play. Thanks for joining us.